0: Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Ancient Health Institute. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Motley, and our co-host, Courtney. Couldn't be here today, but we have a very special guest on today, Dr. John Deloney, and he has his show. He has a books. He has a PhD. He's been in work practice for over two decades. And Dr. Deloney, thank you for giving us the privilege that you would come on to the show.
1: We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm so grateful for your hospitality. And I've been a decade long, a decade, long time user of your Dell's products, man. It's just good stuff. So I'm just so grateful for the hospitality. I
0: appreciate it. Dr. Axe gives him gives you his best and uh, wish he could be here, but he just told me to tell you that he said hello. And uh, we're just grateful that we have individuals that have different variety and also to, to affect the body in many different ways. So we really like to have this corner of health being discussed. And um, as we start, guys, I want to make sure that we give uh, Dr. John here the proper um, announcement. We want to give you his introduction. So I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and go through this. So he makes sure that I cover every single ground here um, with the podcast. But Dr. John Deloney is a number one national bestselling author, mental health and wellness expert, and he's the host of the Dr. John Deloney show. He holds two PhDs, and one is in counseling uh, and counselor education and supervision, and another in higher education administration. Before joining Ramsey Solutions, John spent two decades working as a senior leader at multiple universities, a professor and researcher, and crisis responder. Now as a Ramsey personality, he teaches people how to reclaim their lives from the madness of this modern world so
1: again thank you so much doc thank you for that most importantly there is i've got a few chickens and i live on a few acres out here and i got two kids and a great (laughs) great wife and two dogs that's the most important part of the john delaney story
0: oh i'm gonna love this interview (laughs) i can tell you the best (laughs) personality my friend so like okay so let's get a brief background man like i want you to go with this we want to talk about how like What's going on? You're, we just talked to you. from Texas, but tell us how you started this journey. What, to give us a brief background. What's going on in your bio?
1: Born and raised in Houston, uh, Texas. My dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator. And uh, mom was a stay-at-home mom. And about halfway through my life, there was kind of an inverse dad. Uh, had always volunteered with youth throughout the community. So let me back up. So I've, I have this image that the right thing to do is when the building's on fire, you go in. Yeah. So I've got some very distinct memories of my old man putting on his bulletproof vest and getting that little cockamamie grin and then getting this car and driving off, um, into the city. And then, and then about halfway through my childhood, my dad always volunteered with youth programs and at a big local church. And he literally over a weekend resigned his position and became a, a youth minister at a giant church. And so I've got mm. a cop as a pa and a pastor for a dad. If you want to know how my uh, therapy bills are. And then my mom, <laughs> on the other hand, Um, She's a stay at home mom, stay at home mom. And she grew up in a culture that told her, you're not, there's no reason for a woman to go to school. You're not, you need, you have one job and you're, there's no reason for you to be educated. Mm -hmm. And so at 42, 41 or 42, she took her first community college class. My dad had always been after her to do it. We'd always cheered her on. She got the courage and bravery to take one class and then she took another one and she took another one. And then at 57, she graduated with her PhD she spent time working at Enron, and now she's a professor. She's in her 70s, and she's a professor at a fancy pants place. All I have to say is the two guiding lessons of my childhood are if people are hurting, you go towards the problem. Not a, you don't run from it. Mm. And the second thing is, is age limitation. There is zero excuses. You're never too old to start over. You're never too old to not do something completely sideways and different. So I take those two lessons, and then I—it's I, fun to look back and be like, yeah, those are kind of wired into my DNA at this point. I started working in—I was a high school teacher, and then I was in higher education, and I was always speaking everywhere, just because that's just part of the job as a dean of students. Um, and most of my career was spent um, with people when the wheels have fallen off, and mm-hmm. they had made a decision that you know they got in trouble, or you know the assault, or the drank too much, or they suicided. And, um, and so I spent most of my career sitting with people behind closed doors when. They were in Ash trying to figure out what do we do next. And then mm-hmm. I spent some years partnering with police department after hours, and I would show up and help with death notifications with families and sit with people when the worst of the worst had happened and help them figure out what the next wobbly step was going to be. And so ultimately landed here just with a just my goal in life is I want people to be a little bit more joyful and a little bit more peaceful after they've been uh, after I've spent some time with them.
0: Oh, man, you can tell by your personality, my friend, like with your joyfulness and like how you want to try to get people to feel good about themselves. And I mean, something inside of me tells me like as much as you've been in through the, the trenches, like you're on the front lines when you're that young and you're like learning how to talk to people. And, you know, I'm being sensitive to people who've like had issues like with, you know, how they want to treat themselves or they like been in the deepest trenches. First of all, I think a lot of people out there, I'm just asking from a personal standpoint, like, how has that been on your emotions for yourself? I mean, I may mean, that be jumping too far. Has it no, put no, a lot no. of energy from you? Has it, has it made you feel like you've had to protect yourself more, or like energetically? Or like, what's, what, how does it affect you
1: emotionally? Yeah. The, well, I gave you the Cliff Notes version. The real version is I was a pathological people. I needed to be helping people as a defense mechanism for my own insecurity it was a uh, analgesic. It was, it was a, it was an addiction. Um, and so I found myself swan diving in the middle of other people's problems to trying to solve it. So anytime you try to make other people's challenges or other problems to solve as some sort of therapeutic to make yourself feel better, that's a yeah. recipe for burnout for ash. So yes, absolutely, man. I, I had a season about a decade ago where I completely melted to the ground and um, I had a young kid and my wife, she's a, she was a fancy pants researcher at the time and we had to, I mean, I had to change the oil while the car was still driving, right? I had a family and a career, but yeah, I had to kind of start over and figure out what was next. And that's why I ended up just wandering into counseling classes. I had no intention to get another degree. I just wanted to know what happened to me, what happened to my neighbors, what's happening to my community, my country. I was just fascinated by what's going on here. And so now I I have infinitely more, I've created a whole life, a well life, if you will, that allows me to be anchored so that I can swan, I can rappel off the side into the madness. And then I've got Place to be on the other end. I can I can pull back up, and uh, my identity is not in this job or any other job. It's in my family and in my faith and those kind of things. And so, if this all goes away tomorrow, it would have been a hilarious, fun (laughs) (laughs) adventure of a ride. And then I'll go be a high school coach again. I love that job too. So, Um, but yes, if you don't take care of yourself and you're in the business of helping other people, the secondary trauma is real. Secondary traumatic stress is very, very real. If you live in an abusive household and that bear is somebody um, that you're married to. Um, your body will re- re- respond in fight or flight all day, every day. And it, it takes a physical toll for sure.
0: Definitely. I mean, I can see like, and I, I love to talk about like how the physical aspects of the body can actually create symptoms whenever you're going through that trauma. And I can tell that you're a fixer and I know you can fix things. And I can tell like in Chinese <laughs> medicine, I do a lot of Chinese medicine. You have a lot of bit of that metal element. You have that that way of like, you want to take a problem, you want to solve it. I can tell it's like, you want to organize it, get it done with and get it through. And so when you can tell like physical characteristics, I think that when you're a caretaker, the one thing they always say, and not to take away from the conversation, but when you have a lot of that metallic element within Chinese medicine, it's like you want to fix it. Uh, the one thing that uh, the metal elements always usually do is they start to neglect like, uh, their own grief and their own sadness. They yes. want to control it and they want to keep it inside so they won't let themselves cry so much. They want it to come up to the surface.
1: So, so and, let's, let's go ahead and derail the whole thing. So what's, what's, the, what's the anti-metallic sentiment there? Like anti, what, no
0: anti-metallic. Now, I mean, like if you say...
1: No, no, what, what's the what's the what's the counter? What's the because uh, Chinese medicine works like with opposites, right? So yeah, it, with Yin and Yang, it when it's in grief and sadness, yeah,
0: the one thing that you encourage people so much is that you can actually grip people solutions. People look to you as a leader, and people look to you as creating a solution to the problem. You can organize things to make people find follow steps to get to a proper way to create a solution, and so that's the beauty of it. The thing is when you get into the actual beauty of like the grief and the sadness, is when the body is able to pro- to process the grief and the sadness. The lungs and the large intestine really get to the point where they're actually energized, and so mm. it's really a point with with like metal elements is that you can actually learn and teach other people how to grieve, and that's what I think it's really good that you actually show other people how to grieve and yeah. and produce their sadness and it's like bring it to the surface. I mean, that's a side note, man, but I'm just saying, like, I, no, can I love tell that. that you thank you for it. sharing that.
1: That's that's fantastic. that's it, there's a, I got a whole chapter on grief. That's 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 become I think one of the greatest gifts in my life is sitting down in the ash and saying this happened and I got to sit here for a minute and right. I think we've got a culture I know me personally I, I spent my whole life running from that and um, trying to chase shiny things and abundance of things and certificates of approval out there and really what I needed to do is to sit down and like, let my body acknowledge this has happened to you this is real and
0: that's right. and when you play, when you said your identity I love it that you said was in your family and with your child with your child how many kids do you have
1: I got two little ones Oh man how old 12 and 6
0: Oh man you have a blast don't you You oh, like man. you it's, it's the best man yeah
1: it's the best It's the, and was... it's the worst and like I don't want to be like it's it's exhausting and it's super like <laughs> two nights ago man I have these uh turkey decoys out in my yard yeah. um I don't know what we we're we we're playing some sword fight like against the evil turkeys and I was like what are... <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? So it's not fun, <laughs> um, but it's so right and it's so whole. And I listened to my daughter tell my wife I spent forty five minutes with us in a fake wooden sword fight against evil turkeys. And my six year old daughter told my wife during when they were reading before bedtime, she said, "This is my favorite day." And oh, hey, I know it wasn't because we've it. done way cooler stuff together. But it takes about forty five minutes with of un, undistracted attention with my six year old to go into her little castle dragon evil turkey world to really start to make some deep connections there. So yeah, dude, I love being a dad. It's fun.
0: I mean, you can tell because I think people, when they make deeper connections with the books you write and the information you write. They can know that the, the, the actual core of who you are. Like, I think that you say like what sports I like to find these things out, man. Like what's your favorite sport? What do you like to do?
1: Oh man. That's probably going to over metallic me even more. I'm a, Um, I'm a I grew up being a baseball fan, but in 2000, no 99, I stumbled on this thing in Japan called, the pride fighting championships, which then brought me over to all. I went down the jiu-jitsu rabbit hole for years. And then I just became a pathological uh, UFC fan. I like oh, martial arts God. fan. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. So that's, that's the, if you ask me like, what's my favorite, favorite, that's the thing I pay attention to. I like it when the Astros are in the world series, but other than that, I'm pretty much focused on fighting or doing other things.
0: You know, I'm going to tell you a funny story and I hope this doesn't take, they can edit this out when I'm talking about, well, okay. So man, <laughs> no way, dude. I was at, okay. I'm in Franklin, Tennessee, right? Yep. I go to this small little Mexican restaurant. Cause I, have a, I had a small, when I first started, I had this small Rinky Dink uh, location where I, I worked on people. I go down there and, and uh, Dana White comes in and sits in the booth right next to me. And um, I, I knew because my friends were really big in the UFC and I was like, oh, I knew it. And I was like, I wasn't shy. I was like, hey, are you, are you Dana White? And he goes, yeah, he was shooting a show in Franklin about his car. And people were coming in and then droves of people. I'm not kidding. Wow. We're calling people to come in. The nicest guy ever, but that's my day to story.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I brought into him in Vegas. He was such a lovely, he was great. He was just a great, kind person. So it's good. Oh,
0: man. Well, oh, okay. We got to get to this about you because people want to know <laughs> that. <this. laughs> but when you made your way into the mental health space, I think the beauty of it is like you went through your own struggles. I mean, I was reading some things about anxiety and depression. Can you just give us a brief synopsis? or not going brief. Just tell us like when you went into anxiety and how that journey within you helped other people to identify their anxiety and work with it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I, I think the three pillars of wisdom is the knowledge, the academic insight, and the personal experience, and walking alongside other people. While they're going through their experience, because if, if you just have one of those things, like we we all know of people who watch a lot of TED talks and they think they know everything about a subject and it's super annoying or they listen to a <laughs> podcast and they're like, "Ah, oh, I'm an expert on, you know, protein synthesis. And you're like, for sure you're not. Um, and, and or there's folks who have their singular experience. Yeah. And so they lose 20 pounds on a particular diet and they become the zealot for the world. And this is me. This is the pot talking to the kettle here. Uh, I can't, I got to tell everybody and I become a a walking billboard for this thing. I think the third important part is walking alongside people who have similar experiences, but their stories are different than yours really rounds out the wisdom part. So I've been walking alongside students who were addicts or had brought drugs into a residence hall or who had been victims of various types of sexual assault. So I've been sitting with hurting people for a long time. Mm. And like most I didn't recognize it when it was happening to me. And mm. I was in hospitals three or four nights a week, sitting with kid, with young people and calling parents in the middle of the night saying, hey, you need to get to town because your kid may not make the night. I was making those calls 24 seven. I was on call all the time. And then during the day, I was running a large team. I had a whole bunch of people reporting to me and millions of dollars in budget. So I was just running, running, running. And then I had a little boy after four years of us trying. It hadn't worked out. And my wife was really uh, killing it. So all to say is, I don't have any, and I think most of us don't, I don't, I don't have any, I cheated on my wife and blew the whole thing up, or then I robbed a bank and ended up in jail. And I'm, most of us just slowly come to believe that that's what life is, is another busy season mm. on top of a busy season and another, oh, I'm assistant director. So I need, I need to become a, so whatever I got to do to be associate director. And then, then I will fill in the blank. And then I'm going to, so I just got on this treadmill and the frustrating part in all honesty was I was just getting on a path that was laid out in front of, me, which is, well, the next logical thing to do is you got to buy a house. I can't afford one. I buy one anyway. Here's a way you can do that. And you make this kind of money. Why are you driving that car? You should, you should go finance another car and you should. And so you end up with this life that's just laid out in front of you. And ultimately, um, as the story goes, uh, I was doing good at work, my marriage, I wasn't wasn't great, but I wasn't bad, right? I wasn't, I wasn't cheating on anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a okay dad. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, but you ever seen a beautiful mind? Yeah. That was me when it came to the <laughs> um, housing stuff. So this is about 2010, or like we were coming out of the housing crisis. Brother, I had like maps and charts about how the housing was going to collapse again and they were going to have to nationalize it and they're going to have to sell out these bricks to other countries. It was madness. And so I was going to take my retirement, all like completely drain it all out and do this, move that. I remember sitting with a CFO of a $150 million company. He's a buddy. And we're, I was walking him through what I was going to do. And I remember him really gently saying, Huh, well, um, I don't really understand all that, but don't do what you're about to do. And <laughs> I, my, I walked out of the room. And my first thought, Chris, was that guy didn't see it. He didn't get it. I okay, got, you know, so. In every aspect of my life, I was doing great, except I was slowly starting to lose it. And really what I came to understand is my body was doing everything it could to get my attention. It was rattling the cage, rattling the cage. Ultimately, I got in a car and drove to another city and sat with a buddy who's a medical, an MD. And I just said, yeah. hey, I'm not okay. Ultimately, being able to experience what I had heard people say all these years yeah. and then really swan dive into the data and the research and the and the insights into what is this, what is happening to me, allows me to come out on the other side and say, man, anxiety is simply an alarm system. It's just your body trying to get your attention to let you know that you're disconnected from relationships, you're unsafe, you're in abusive or toxic environments, or you're in a situation where you can't control tomorrow. It's autonomy, right? You don't have your values and principles don't factor into what happens to you tomorrow. Mm. And your body's going to try to get your attention. And so instead of being anxious about being anxious anymore, whenever I feel moments of anxiety, I instantly just say, huh, I wonder what's on fire. What's my body trying to tell me? And that is a much more graceful approach than, ah, I got to stop. The, I, I don't run into my kitchen and climb up on a ladder and try to pull the batteries out of the smoke detector anymore or duct tape over it with another Netflix show and another Twinkie and another piece of pizza. Now I can step outside in the yard and go, okay, which part of the house is on fire? That's what I need to address. Is it my marriage? Is it my relationship with my son? Is it, what, what, where do I need to lean into? And man, it has been a totally different experience the last decade.
0: Oh man. With that experience, brother, it's like, that's like, I love like with your new book out, I know where we can talk about that later, but it's like when you own your past, yeah. uh, when you, what took what was like some like defining moments, like whenever you knew that, like this, like when you had to own your past, like when you knew you had to like, really like find out where the fire, like you don't want to cover up the fire alarm. And I know like these events that come up, like, did you have any particular times in your life? Like, it? I mean, that just like woke you up, like you knew that something's come, any defining p- points in your yeah, life?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, ultimately, and this is, this is for me. Um, some people have had these um, by themselves. That's, that's not been my journey. And quite honestly, it's not been most of the people that I have worked with over the years. I had a buddy that was a 20-year friend and him and he had just had a new kid and they came out to visit us and I was walking him through my house. I thought my house was falling apart and he's a finance guy and I was walking him through Oh, it's all that's happening. And we walked out on my driveway and he had looked at my house. His dad's in construction, so he knows a lot about it. He walked, walked out my driveway and he looked at me and he said, hey, your house is good. Hmm. I don't want to hear this anymore. And I heard in his voice, it's a very Texas thing to say, but I heard a resolve that is Uh, I I come to find out later, my wife had called him and said, I'm worried about John and Mm. John can't hear me. He might hear you. And that was a very Texan banker way of saying the problem isn't here. The problem is with you. And for me, that was the first person after expert, after expert, after that, I looked in the mirror and said, okay, I trust this guy with my life. I trust him with my kids. I would trust him with my wife. Maybe it's me. And so it was it was the accountability or wisdom of, of a loved one, of a friend saying, I see that you're not okay. And I don't know mm-hmm. what that means because I don't have that expertise, but you're not okay. And I see that. And so that was an important moment for me. And then some paths along the way. And, and unfortunately, it's stumbling around. It's, it's not being the best husband I could be and having to live in the consequence of what that means. It's doing a lot of blaming. And if it wasn't for this and this particular industry is trying eventually I have to look in the mirror and say, I'm playing a part in this. These things have happened to me. I got to own it, right? And then I've got to ask that one terrifying, scary question that all of us got to ask, man. And that is, so what am I going to do now? And as I've spent my years working with kids who are victims of unfathomable racist incidents or of um, incredible assaults or incredible family trauma, there's something viscerally powerful about looking in the mirror and saying, this happened to me. Mm. and my identity is not in the worst thing that ever happened to me. My identity will be in who I decide to become on the back end of this, what happens next. And I ultimately had to look in the mirror and go, oh, I guess this applies to me too, right? And mm. you start building your life um, from uh, really from scratch from that point forward.
0: I think that whenever I see your, your content, just the way where you're right, brother, it's just that when you see it, it's like you always seek justice. Yeah. And I can tell that, and I say when people's lives, that's what I get from my impression, like that you want to see people... F- not just say feel good. You want to see, have people see the right within their own lives. And, and a lot of times, what I think that uh, whenever I see how you work with children, how you work with individuals, I was listening to your podcasts and, and uh, I like that you, you implement, in my opinion, I'm not saying it's how you feel, but like you, people who could go into that victim mentality or feel bad about themselves, you always, you always encourage them to be a survivor. And, and shift them from being a victim to a survivor and then you know can you can you create meaning in their life? How hard has it been or how when you go through this journey with these individuals and people out there listening right now are saying, I'm in the trenches right now and I'm just I'm not making it like this is not happening for me. And you encourage me a survivor. What are some steps or sort of what thoughts like to give people meaning? What do you suggest people like how do you find their meaning or like what is something that they can look forward to or, or some kind of advice to help them, navigate through that
1: i love that i mean there's several uh, we could answer this and jump in and cut me off and dig deeper if we get into no, some of these. keep going brother i love this, um, this great i i think yeah i think you have a choice to either here's an important thing there are real victims mm-hmm. real people get hurt by really awful things and some mm-hmm. people get hurt systemic i mean people get hurt the problem in our culture is we've been given two paths forward path one is that's all you'll ever be. You're always going to be a cancer survivor. That's your identity. That's your group. That's the books you need to read. That's the sweater you need to wear. You're always going to be a, an assault survivor. That's who you are. And I, it's not. And the other side, the, the response to that that we've gotten over the last 10 or 15 years is, if you have a feeling, if you have any sort of sadness, any sort of frustration or luck, lo- You're weak and you're a coward. Mm -hmm. Suck it up and get about your day. Get going. No one wants to hear you talk about your injustice, move on in your life. And I'm calling nonsense on both paths. And so really what I'm hoping to put into the world is a new third way, which is you have to own this happened, And then you have to look in the mirror and say, I'm worth something better tomorrow. And that's what optimism is, right? Optimism isn't, oh, it's okay. No, it's not. Optimism is, if I put in the work and I surround myself with people, tomorrow could be better than today. I've got that choice. And that's the powerful sentiment here. So the, the probably the first thing I tell somebody who's struggling is like your feelings are your feelings, man, and own them, feel them. Even if your people around you you're crazy, feel them. There's no sense in running from those things. And then I'm going to, I, I think it's wise to write those things down. And here's what I say about feelings. My husband hates me. I'm never going to be able to lose weight. My kids don't want anything to do with me. They'd rather just watch Netflix. Um, This is the fourth time I've tried to get healthy and I've failed at it. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be anxious. Those are what I'm saying, like these feelings that we have. Write them down and then demand evidence from them. Is this true? Are you really too overweight to be loved? Are you really not worth getting back on the horse and trying again? And this time I'm going to do something different, right? Right. So it's demanding evidence. As I said earlier, I'm not good at demanding evidence when I'm emotional. I'm just not. So I've got a group of men and women in my life that I trust that I will say, hey, I'm not seeing this thing right. Every time the news comes on, I feel like it's the end of time. Is this right? And I've got a guy who works in finance who loves me. And he says, it's going to be a tough sled for a few few years. Um, No, I don't see the end of time. We're good. Don't pull your money out of the market. Just quit opening the envelopes, right? And so it's that kind of that that sense, like you still got to keep going to work. What else are you going to do, man? Um, sitting at home and curling up and digging a hole to hide in, that's not going to help you. And by the way, if they, everybody nukes everybody, you don't want to live in that world anyway, man. Right. So it's, it's this very <laughs> real. So I demand evidence from it. And here's the, the other, uh, there's a couple other things that are really important. If you ask me what the chief demon of our time, the chief enemy of our time, mm-hmm. it's not COVID. It's not misinformation. It's not fill in the blank. I believe with all my soul and my, and my mind, the chief enemy right now is loneliness. I think we oh have a pathological loneliness challenge among us. And when our brains recognize, when it is scanning the system and recognizes that we are alone, and alone doesn't mean I got a lot of friends on the internets, man. Um, mm. We all have a lot of friends on the internets. We don't have anybody to, to help us move our couch around the living room. It, there's this idea that, man, when your body recognizes you're alone, it does not process data logically, it processes data like, we're probably going to die. Everything's a threat. Everything needs to be on guard because this could be our last moment because you're all you've got. And so then you consume data in a way that makes your body, your heart race, your body dump cortisol and adrenaline, and you're just off to the races all day. You're fighting everything. You're running from everything. You're hiding from everything. Can't live like that. So you got to get people in your life. I'll even go as far to say this. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I do not believe, I've seen no compelling data that would suggest that there's any sort of long-term behavior change, no long-term sense of well-being or well-living that can be done in isolation. I think you can white-knuckle your way towards losing 50 pounds or to stop smoking. You can grit your teeth to that. Um, It will come out in another behavior or another autonomic response at some point. I think you have to have other people for your body to settle into. Okay, now I'm safe. Now I can be about healing. And then this is the other big one, man. We live, I think the mental health community over the last hundred years has done us a disservice. They've done a lot of wonderful things. The disservice is, the narrative is, if you just get the right thoughts in the right order, then you'll be well. And I reject that. (laughs) I reject it. I think you got to change the way you do life. And you can think about things in the right order. It's important to have the cognitive uh, structures and in, in, in scaffolding in place. But, dude, I got to quit eating donuts. I have to stop. I got to quit yelling at my kids. I have to say I will never cheat on my spouse to get right. We got to start living differently. Yeah. And that has been divorced from the mental health conversation. And I think it's a crucial point moving forward. I agree, brother, and
0: and please don't think I'm trying to like speak on like mental health because you're the expert at it. I think that when you just said like with community, um, just to throw my two cents in there, when you say when you need people together, when people want to go into isolation, one aspect of like in like Chinese medicine they would say is like element theory, and and one thing that I really respect about it is that you can have one element type, and they say an element that's like uh, like for instance I'm a wood element, so. I would need a person that has a lot of water, uh, a lot of philosophical individual in my life to put the water element into my life to help me grow because I'm a wood element. So somebody can give me an idea and I'm really good at taking an idea and rolling with it and going forward. I'm the person also who can take the idea. And if I get something going, I can feed it to the fire element, which means if a person is a really get up and go person, I'm not like that. I will never be like that. I am just like, (laughs) just let me do my thing and leave me alone and I'll give somebody that. So when you have community together, it's like if you try to isolate, it doesn't really benefit the body. And, and that's why I really respect like all aspects of health It'd say like uh, the wood element is really governed by how you grow. So the liver and the gallbladder grow. They help you metabolize ATP and, and create ligaments and such. But then you feed into somebody else who gives them a little bit of fire that helps their heart grow. So when they say get into isolation, I said, you, you can't do it that way because really relationships and frequencies between people. Really help individuals and community to grow. So now there, and I know you know this, but there are certain elements that shouldn't be working with each other. Like they just shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't work the other way, right? That's It right. totally does. It's a co-cycle. Yeah. But and and I and I, I agree. It's just like whenever you see, they uh, like say mental health. Um, you see like abusive relationships, for instance. Like you're really strong metal element, right? And you have good opinions. I'm a very yin-oriented wood element, which means I just I'm pretty gentle about stuff. Metal elements. If they're really strong, could really like it because they're like the axe, they could chop a wood element. But if you have a good relationship between each other and you have an understanding, the metal elements always keep the they always can keep the wood element at a good balance. So I could be that person be like, I can just go before and do stuff. But you could be a person that goes, yo, dude, chill. This is good. <laughs> this is not. And I could be a person that just goes, oh, I hope it didn't matter. I'm like, no, I, mean, I, I can take that. So, I hope I didn't go on a sidetrack, brother. No, no, or, like,
1: but it works the other way. I could say something like, I think that's stupid. And you could say, or, or, um, that person's really scared. What yeah. if we invite them to sit down for tea? And I, I take a lot of, ah, so I think a lot of the growth in my life has come from people who have a spirit like you do, which oh. is one of compassion and kindness and gift. And it, it, yeah, it works together, but you gotta have people in your life,
0: right? You do. And loneliness would be like, if you had like, like the lonely aspect, I was going to ask you about this too, is that whenever you've seen like the individuals you've worked with and you've written books about it, uh, people want to know, because there's a lot of lonely people out there. I want to know too, as individuals, like people want to know how to create community.
1: Mm.
0: People want to know how to, how can you create community? Like, I don't even want to get out of this state that I'm in. I'm lonely. I don't want to even (laughs) even talk to anybody what do you suggest to people? Like what, what how do I do this?
1: Oh, such a good question. So that might be too weird. I just got a text message this morning. That was one of the most coolest things I've, you know what? I'm going to read it right here and then I'll do back. it. God. Is that cool? I love it, man. Do it. If it doesn't work, then we'll edit it out. This is real time. This is from a buddy of mine this morning. Let's see where it is right here. All right. You ready? Yep. It says gentlemen, every time we, Go watch the fights at so-and-so's house. I drive home thinking, I really like those guys. I wish I saw them more. So I want to get together for drinks or pool or whatever. Could we please get together for this night for this? here's what This This person is a, is a, I would love to have exchange bank accounts with this person. <laughs> they are very successful, a great human being who uh, has been working through the book. And there's a section on loneliness and friends. And I think cycled up and said, what am I doing? Hmm. I'm choosing another Netflix series or another little league game or another distraction from what actually matters, which is relationships. And so here's where we all find ourselves. We all were handed digital boxes that have allowed us to communicate so well. We can Mm -hmm. communicate all day, every day to so many people globally. It's incredible. And I love it, but we have to understand that we are transmitting information with one another. We are not connecting. And, So when I text my wife 30 times a day, I love you. I love you. I love you. I am giving her data. I am not showing her body that I love her. Love looks like me showing up on time. When I said I'm going to be home, love looks like me before the kids come running in that I look at my wife and say, Hey, dinner looks incredible. Thank you so much. Or I'm so the work you're doing at home is so incredible. It's the hug. It's the feeling. It's me picking up my clothes off the floor. That is telling my wife, right? And you don't get that with a hey, an app that sends flowers every other Wednesday. Hmm. Um, again, I'm transmitting data, which is fine. That's not connection. And so I have to look in the mirror. Here's the reality. The data tells us that when your body recognizes it's lonely, the downstream physiological effects are everything from heart disease and strokes and dementia. It's just, it's incredible the cascade of damage that a constant hose of cortisol and adrenaline and other stress chemicals um, will do inside our bodies. They're not designed to go 24-7, 365, day after day, year after year. So I have to know a choice to be lonely is a choice to die sooner. And that's how brash I've had to, I do a lot of work with business leaders. That's how direct I have to get with the, I got all the money, I got all the cars, I got all the stuff, and you're going to die because you don't have friends. You don't have anybody you can call and say, my marriage isn't okay. And so I have to work back from, okay, here's how it's like smoking, right? I have to know this is going to kill me. So what do I do now? When it comes to making friends, we don't have a picture of what that looks like. Most of our parents didn't have a bunch of buddies that came and hung out that they Mm -hmm. did life with. They went to funerals with, um, they had a bunch of people in their lives that were obligations or performative, or maybe it was a church neighbor or a business associate that lived in the neighborhood. So we're starting from scratch and I have to know. A, all relationship is a risk, as the great Esther Perel says. So I'm going to take the risk because I'm worth the risk. They're worth the risk. I'm not going to take it personal if someone doesn't want to go get coffee with me. That's their challenge, not mine. I'm going to be hospitable. That means come to my house. And by the way, I'm not cleaning up. It's fine. This is what it looks like. I'm not putting makeup on either. And I'm not going to iron my pants. This is just come over and bring whatever you got left in your fridge. And I'll give you whatever got left in mine. And we're going to play game, whatever. I'm going to be hospitable. You come to my house. And I'm going to go first. I'm going to stop waiting for, they never called. No one ever texts me. I'm going first then. And really it goes back to that. There's not a way to get the right thoughts in the right order to heal loneliness. Mm -hmm. You just got to jump out there and go for it. And if you've been a victim of abuse or traumatized in relationships, then you may need to go to therapy because relationships are going to set every one of your alarms off for a season. And so get some healing with those painful relationships so that you can, Get healing inside of new relationships
0: Oh man as
1: dude oh, that's, I, I don't know if that's helpful or not i feel like it I is it. completely <laughs> helpful I, okay, I, i'm
0: gonna have to do a real time thing with you like on my um I, I gotta find it but it was like a, a quote by c.s lewis man mm-hmm. and um it but i will have to find it but it, it basically the the quote is this it ba- I, I if i could find it but there's one quote he says the point of life he says basically you can take and sell everything you had or you can get rid of everything you had he goes but if you can go and find the place where you can be around all your friends, he goes, do everything you can to be around your friends. Right. And and then another quote, he said, uh, and I saw another philosopher, uh, philosopher say, he goes, um, it, it's like the yin and the yang. It's like if you spend extra time, like you said, connecting with people and learning how to connect, if you spend extra time and we do that and he is and you're willing to put out the work, like you say, to text somebody but you're not really expecting to receive a lot. He says on the flip side, he goes, you will not believe how much you'll receive even more without having to put out, because you're going you're to be able to find those friends that feed into your life. And I think that I find the most bitter, I'm going to ask you about this bitterness. Do you find brother, like sometimes the most bitter people that are the loneliness, they're just so jaded that they won't ever like try to reach out. They're like, this person hurt me. And so I'm never going to reach out to them. I'm like, my my dad always used to tell me, he says he goes, if you keep what is uh, Zig Zig Ziglar, I guess is one of the he goes, you continue to do what you've always done, or you always continue what you've always got. He says, and, and so basically he's like, if you keep doing the same thing. I wanted to ask you too, like with this philosophy, of like um, bitterness and loneliness, like why do you think bitterness has been so raised in our culture today? I know it's a really
1: big question, man. Like it's no, just, it's, it's just, it's just I, so unique now. First, I I think it's important to tell listeners, bitterness is a complete and utter waste of your time. Hmm. And bitterness is a choice. It's a decision. It's an activity. And so you can stop. It's not a sense of being. It's not something that somebody does to you. It's a choice. And people can get frustrated with me for that. It's it's just telling the truth. Um, I think that we have a culture that's built on selling things. And that's well and good. And I want to have good tires. And so I want people to notify me of the tires and somewhere along the way, the story being told was not, Hey, I've got the best tires. It's those guys' tires will kill you. Mm. And that activates ancient brain systems that say, Hey, there's a twig that just snapped in the woods over there. It's better if we just assume that's a bear. It's probably a frog, but if it's a (laughs) frog and Not a bear, and we (laughs) run after it with a hatchet, we're okay. If we don't run after it with a hatchet and it happens to be a bear, we're dead. So let's, we're gonna, every time there's a possible threat, we're gonna, we're gonna overdo it to keep us alive. And so we have a culture that's designed to sell us stuff. Great. Well, what's happened over the last 15 or 20 years with the just awash in technology and access to info is the greatest way to sell somebody something is to say, if you don't have this, you won't belong. You won't fit in. You're mm. probably going to die. That person is going to take everything from you. And we're just bombarded by that, by that information. Um, and again, going back to tech, like water, like to have a drink of water, it's the greatest thing in the world. Mm. My buddies in Houston, when Hurricane Harvey came through a few years ago, that water in their house wiped them out. And so water wasn't the issue. It was the scope and the velocity and the amount and the placement. And so technology is not bad. It's when I decide to let technology run my life and my kid's life and my family and my educational systems and on and on, then I'm choosing to just turn all the faucets on. I'm going to flood the house up. I'm telling you what, this is a very good
0: interview. I'm saying like, with, <laughs> thanks, man. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's one of the best interviews I've had. I want to know like, with the, the book that you've written, and I really do like to talk about things that you've written and what you've gone through and what inspired the book and what got you to go through this. I, I just want to say one quick note. I think that when you talked about like when people live in, in loneliness and how people live in fear and a side note, like we, we always say in Chinese medicine that when, when bitterness grows or when, um, and when fear grows, they always say that the kidneys really get really, really fatigued because the the adrenal glands are on top of the kidney. So Mm. the adrenal glands get really, really fatigued and they make the kidneys contract. So the people, when you drink water or or take your minerals, you won't metabolize your water really well. So people are naturally dehydrated and then they get anemia because they don't have the hormones from their kidneys working properly. And I don't try to get nerdy about it, but I, I just see that when you have this culture where people are living in fear, they say that the natural tendency for people to have electrical movement to ground themselves mm. is naturally depleted because they can't eat ionic transfer with the earth. So I just mm. see the beauty of how God would create a body that would say, you're afraid. You drain this organ. You can't even metabolize the water, but there's a disconnect. And I'm just trying to show you through your body that you created a disconnect. Yeah. And and I mean, it's it's evident like within how the world moves and how nature moves and uh, how it can create just symptomatology in the body. And I, and I really appreciate how you talk about how it affects your physiology about the anxiousness and depression. What, like, I know it inspired your book, but when you started to write anxiety, this, this whole book about owning your past, you know, when you own your past, I know you talked about what what inspired you, but when you started writing that, did you have like specific stories or something like that, that came to mind that got you into writing this
1: book? Um, I mean, it's been, it was 10 years in the making. It was, there's a million great, Great mental health books. Dude, and you and I, we need to go just get chips and queso out here. Um, and Do just it. talk, be nerds, man. I I I that's the one thing I miss from my being in the academic community, is I just miss nerding out all the time. I just sat with scientists and lawyers, law professors over lunch every day. And so I missed that exchange. But um, so I love a good nerd. Dude, there's a, a million great mental health books. Yes. So good. And there's a million relationship books that are incredible. What I learned in short order after leaving higher ed. Was Mm -hmm. that I've spent years working on problems as a researcher, as an administrator, as a professor with really brilliant people who are trying Mm -hmm. to do great things in the world, really going at it to help the world. And then when I left and started sitting with folks who were over the road truckers or single mom with two kids trying to figure out how to be a little more present mom and not be so exhausted. I realized, oh, man, I've been talking over people for 20 years. And so sitting down writing this book was less about stories and more about, even though the whole book's about stories, it's about me sitting down with somebody across the table with some chips and queso saying, hey, I see you. How are you? Mm. And so um, I I try my best to write a really non-academic book, if you will. Still, you can't write it without all the neuroscience in it, but in a way that (laughs) I'm just not that bright. Somebody like me could understand it, right? And so I want to be able to tell my buddy who works in HVAC that, hey, this is what's actually happening to your body, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, man, there were stories from when I was a kid and I, I had this girl that I just loved. Her name was Rhonda. She had big, poofy, red uh, permed hair. I loved her, dude. She had giant glasses. <laughs> she was uh, a year older than me and she would say hi to me, and, which meant we were in love when you're in third and fourth grade. And we were running through the halls uh, after class. I, she wasn't really running. I was. And dude, I, I was trying to tag her in a game and I, I pushed her. And brother, she smashed up against the wall and broke both wrists. Oh, both. No. and I was not, I'm not a bad kid. We were playing. It was an accident. And yet fast forward 30 years, I'm the dad. That when I see kids playing, my impulse is to run out and go, hey, everybody knock it off. Someone's gonna get hurt. Mm-hmm. Or every time a kid is running and playing and they're running towards me, my impulse is to back up. Why? Because there's that nagging little story in the back of my amygdala that says, Hey, you hurt children. Back up. Oh man. And oh, so man. when I talk about owning your stories, these things wreck havoc on your physiology your whole life until you stop and deal with it. Here, Another example is, um, you are a a child who was abused by your dad. Your dad would come home and just take it out on you. You learned in short order that when the car came into the driveway, the greatest thing you could do was absolutely disappear. By the way, make straight A's. Don't let anybody see you. And then you're fine. And then you fast forward, you heal from that. The physical abuse, you get away from your dad and you get your master's degree and you're off into your schooling and things are good. And then you find somebody that you're in love with. And let's say it's a he's banker, right? He's a banker. And you find yourself every time his car pulls in the driveway and you're 32 and your heart starts beating a little faster Mm -hmm. and you back up a little bit because your body remembers that story. And until you stop and say this happened, period. I was not safe then, and the, the behaviors, the things I had to do to stay safe back then are going to destroy my life moving forward. I got to own that I used to have to hide, and now the greatest thing I can do for my new marriage and for my new health and for my spirit and my husband's spirit is to fully engage, go all in, right, and risk getting hurt again because that's what love looks like. And so it's remembering that our body, our, our understanding that our body remembers these traumas, it's, it's less of a psychological memory and more of, no, my body's keep him pulse on that thing. It's got mm. a GPS pin in that story and in that one and that one. And so now when somebody cuts me off and I'm driving and I get raged out, I first think number one, I, I can either, I can do this, Chris, I can either say, I do just texting and he's on drugs and he's trying to kill everybody he probably votes the wrong way. That idiot. I can do that. And I can set off a chemical reaction in my body. that's going to last for, for a while, or I can exhale and whisper a quick prayer God help that guy get to the hospital so he can be with his wife before she goes. I get to choose which story I make up. And here's the thing. One of those is going to have a physiological toll. It's going to kill me. And one of those is going to make me more grateful and more empathetic. And it's going to heal me and it's going to heal my neighborhood. Right? So I get to lean into these stories, man. And I get to be about changing them moving forward.
0: Oh my goodness, man. I, I'm so appreciative, man. It's like whenever you think when you change a narrative and, you start to learn how to repeatedly try to change your narrative so you can see the world in a different viewpoint. If you, you can just look with grace and compassion, man, I just appreciate your words. Cause everybody, I, I really mean that whenever you look at uh, Dr. Johnson, you look at his, um, his uh, uh, YouTube feed and such, he just goes through you. you I like your titles because there's no <laughs> guessing.
1: I, I always, I'm always hassling. There's, there's the guys here that do that, man. I'm always like, guys, that's I love like Jerry Springer. They're like, no, I, got you, I love them.
0: Got to. Th- there's no question. You know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to hear. Yeah. And I'm like, whenever we see that, I'm just like, yes. And when you look at Instagram feed, I, and I'm telling you profound, like I'm telling you, man, this has really been a great interview. I know your time's precious. And I want everybody. Dude, I got all
1: day with you, brother. I got nowhere to be. I'm good. I, I wish
0: that with, with, uh, with one thing I want to ask you about um, before I, you know, when you say your body will exude like uh, physical manifestations, um and and guys and the people out there i'm not trying to take away from uh, john's time i just like i think it's really cool how it, like different health uh, practices interlace like they'll say like if you ever go into like um let's say you're you're raised in an environment where there's a uh, lots of anger and lots of frustration like you just said like your body would you creates toxicities specifically in the brain but your body will create toxicities overall so your liver will work quite a bit to try to to detoxify the toxins that are produced from every cell whenever you go into an angry situation. Uh So Chinese medicine, they would think it's kind of woo-woo. They would say, well, what's the emotions with your liver and your gallbladder? It's like it's anger and frustration. But in Western medicine, it would mean this. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to detoxify. But if Uh my liver is weak from years of anger and environment of anger, my liver has to try to detoxify my blood every single night when I'm in an abusive home. Mm -hmm. And then my brain picks up on the toxic blood because eventually my liver gets tired. If I don't get enough nutrients, I don't have a good environment, I'll eat good food. And so your brain gets fed dirty blood. And that's what they call blood stagnation. So you have a kid that's completely overwhelmed and angry. And then you start to look at his genetics and he has, he has MAO genes, he has the warrior gene, he's mad, he's angry all the time. And then you think, oh, goodness, man, this guy needs to get his brain, like, you know, worked and loved and compassion. And then you also think, in my realm, I'm like, goodness gracious, he's got to get a little bit of that stagnation. and gets some more of that chi, like the electricity moved through his liver just mm-hmm. to clean his blood. Yeah. And you see how all of these work together really well. And I, and, and I know you see this, brother, really like with your book. Oh. I, 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 like I had a, a little girl the other day, and I'm just saying she couldn't sit in, in, her, in her classroom. Like at all. She would get angry. She came from a mother who was a heroin addict mm-hmm. and she had she, her, her bones would break. Her teeth would have cavities because she couldn't mineralize because her kidneys were so full of fear. She couldn't mineralize any uh, any type of magnesium or uh, phosphorus. All that to say, we worked on her and man, like we found out that she was doing really well, started to get out of anxiousness because she had some gut issues, but it was yeah. overworking her liver like bad. Okay. And then we put on some skull cap, which is a little Chinese medicine. And I'm not bragging on myself, guys. I'm just saying the beauty of how this all interlaced. And then the, the, the teacher uh, tells the mother, Mother calls me crying. She's like, Hey, the teacher asked me, what did you do to your kid? Like she, she sat and made 100 on her last few tests. Wow. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the intricacies of like cleaning a liver and how it's all so intertwined together. And, and I, I'm so respectful. Like I love mindset, mind body relationship, because whatever's going on in the mind, is telling you what's going on in some other part of the body. And I just man, I appreciate when I read your stuff, man. I'm I'm just Well,
1: and also the body informs the mind too, and I think we we often forget that. And uh, it I like to look at think of it as like the, you know, the infinity signal uh, or yeah. symbol. Here's a good example. Like if I and if, if you're just listening to this, imagine I got my hands up like I'm blocking a punch over my face. So when I do that, my shoulders are linked up my shoulders are clenched, they're tight, I'm blocking my face or I'm throwing a punch. Either way, that posture sends a message to my body, to my hmm. brain, game on, we're in it now. Yeah. And if you imagine over the last 30 years, we all just went from working with a pen and a paper to working like this with our hands out on our laptops or our phone. We're constantly sending physiological signals to our body. Hey, it's on, it's on, it's on, it's on, it's on. The flashy thing, here's a light, here's a this. It's not, it's not, it's not, right? So some of this is, hey, I can't get my thoughts, I can't get my thoughts, change your actions, man. And hey, I can't change my actions. Then start thinking, be intentional about your thoughts, write them down, begin to dig into those things. So it works, those things work together. And I love that, man, Your, your brain will, man, your body will wear stories. Like, I love that you said that. I didn't know that about the liver. I don't know anything about Chinese medicine, but the fact that our body will continue to protect us 30 years after the initial incident is so amazing to
0: me. Oh my goodness! Um, I, I, it's incredible. i I'm with I, I love it when you like. Uh, th- th- there's this thing, brother, when you say like when you say uh, when they remember some things in the past. I had a I had um, a, a lady that came to me and said that when you said like how the body tags. This is what I'm of, like how the body will tag. I, I I didn't know that like about psychology about how a person can have an event happen in their life and then correct me if I'm wrong, brother. Like they the body will re- restore all the information that happened around them. Um, you know, like at that moment, like the, whatever they smelled or saw or heard so they could have the main event trauma coming, to you know, in their, their their lives. And they could have some random thing that was beside them. Like, you know, they smelled seriously of flowers when the problem was happening. And then they'll smell the the flower and it throws their body back into the trauma because that was occurring at that time. And I, I was like, oh man, how many people get <laughs> triggered and they don't even
1: know they're getting triggered. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so Ves- Vander Kolk, I think it's Vander Kolk or Peter Levine says, Trauma. Let's think of it not as the memory of the thing that happened, because it's devastating. This is to say out loud, our memories are a mess. Right? Mm-hmm. They're just mm-hmm. a cosmopolitan mess that that alter and move and shift over the years. Memory is your body's. I mean, trauma is your body's physical uh, response to the memory of the things that happened. And so trauma is held here. And so yes, I've been with people who smell somebody's cologne and they are full-blown panic attack because that's the cologne of the guy who filled in the blank this many years ago or if you have kids who's like sexual abuse victims they can tell you how many ceiling tiles are on the floor or they can tell you the patterns on the because they just they their brain said we can't be here right now we're going to go here yeah. um, whenever I would be walking with somebody who um, had just you know a loved one just took their own life um, and I get I'm brought into that situation often we would go outside and go for a walk at 2 a.m. And yeah. all we're doing is counting cracks in the sidewalk. I'm trying to get them out of their limbics. I'm trying to get them to right here. You weren't okay, okay there. You weren't safe then. It's okay now. It, mm. What The tragedy is still very, very real, but I need you to come back to me right now, right? And so our bodies are incredible. It detects the threat before our frontal lobes does, right? Via smell or via sight or via in our senses, really. It's amazing, right? So I have to be cognizant every time my system's set off in the the alarms start burning, not to sprint in there and try to shut the alarm off. I've got to stop and pause. It's that gap, right? Between, you know, stimulus and response. I've got to stop and just say, hey, what are these alarms trying to tell me? Exhale, right? And then what professional, what friend, what spouse, what relationship do I need to go be a part of? Where do I go to for healing next? And by the way, if you are about finding new people to hate, it will never solve your problems. I don't care what your problem is. Yeah. Finding new people to go to war with just results in piles of bodies. It doesn't result in solutions. So how can I be about healing?
0: Man, brother, this has been a great. Uh, we got to talk about, I mean, this is, I know all the stuff you teach. Uh, like, We got to get people the information <laughs> about how to get a hold of you. Like, I mean, get your information. Okay. So I did read this though. Okay. Your, your words, uh, the, the book is about, is it number one bestseller now? Like, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I
1: did. It okay. made number one. It was pretty cool. Dude,
0: I, I'm not trying to blow up your head. Don't get embarrassed. Like, it's great. Like, I'm just <laughs> no, awesome, t- brother. I'll, like, I'll, take, right? I'll take i was it. like, Dude, he's I'll crushing it. it. And so, you you have that, like, and, and you have your information on your website. I, I mean, people say this, but, like, um, they can hear all your things that you're going on. Like, in your website, and your feed is at Dr. John Deloney, right? And yeah, uh, what's yeah, your website? At, like, to at let John, people remember? at John Deloney. Yeah. At John Deloney.
1: Okay. you just go to JohnDeloney.com. And, uh, yeah, the beauty of my house is my mom was Dr. Deloney before me, and then my wife was Dr. Deloney before me. And so, like, these two brilliant, powerful women in my life for Dr. Deloney before I was, I said nobody cared. It right, was like ah, whatever, just getting a copycat. So yes, it's just John Deloney, um, and then you can go find the show on uh, wherever you get podcasts and YouTube and all that.
0: What, what are you doing any book tours right now, brother?
1: Yeah, we're all over the country. We go to Orlando um, next week. We were in Vegas and then Phoenix and Dallas. We've been all over. It's been a, it's been it's been pretty fun. So
0: good job, but I, I had to ask this, man. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm just, I'm just talking with you now because, like, like the one thing I like, like with, with your teachings, I love it. But man, I, I saw a feed on yours that you, like, you like the
1: Deftones, bro, dude. Listen, I'm an old heavy metal punk rock kid. No, I mean
0: I like Deftones. I didn't think you like Deftones. Do you like what other ones like? Dude, uh,
1: Deftones came the other night, and so me and some buddies went, and <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. The next morning, my wife, she's like, "You have a glow about you." so it's like, it was like the morning after a wedding. And I was like, I know I spent the evening in a mosh pit with a bunch of like hot topic kids. And it was the greatest fun I've had in so long. And then, then Uh, listen, you know, the best part of the Deftones show, and I've uh, seen them before a bunch from back in the old days was on the way there. We drove with um, my buddy and his 18 year old son, and he turned me on to this new band named Turnstile, who Mm -hmm. happened to be in town two nights later. I tell you what, man, I've been to a hardcore show in a long time. These kids are otherworldly. And I sure left the next not. morning and my wife was like, who are you? I feel like I'm getting my 22-year-old boyfriend back. <laughs> and I kind of miss him. And got guy was kind of an idiot. So I'm kind of nervous. But anyway, dude, yes, I love a good, a good rock and roll show, man. I, right. I, I love it, man. My voice is still read- a little bit hoarse.
0: See, I love it whenever you said um, uh, back in the day. Like, uh, remember Incubus? And, oh, uh,
1: I saw Incubus open for for Deftones first time I saw them.
0: That, okay. That's I, okay. So, okay, one time I could have gone to. I missed the last show that was here in Nashville because it was like before um, COVID, and I was so bummed <laughs> because I had to leave for a, a, a meeting. It was like a work meeting, and and I had Ryman tickets. Well, one of the closest- You missed ever-
1: Incubus at the Ryman for a meeting,
0: Christopher. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Chris, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty <laughs> not happy about that because you got to own your past on that one. I know. <laughs> I was always saying, Oh goodness, man. I had the last time I saw, uh, uh, was it Metallica at uh, Austin City Limits Festival? And we're oh, the, the people are listening wow. to the podcast here and I know they're going to say that, <laughs> but they had like, it was them. And they also had a few others, but I'm like, good heavens, man. It's like, it's crazy how your past, like the, the joys of your past. That's why I love seeing your feet. I was like, lights you up. I just can't hey, so I,
1: I, I Here's what's so strange. I haven't been, and this is my own fault. I haven't been inside like an old punk club in, in 10 years, probably. I've been yeah. too busy doing parenting stuff and going to little league stuff and all good things, going to grad school and all that. I walked into that room and my body went, whew. Yeah. it was an exhale and it was like yes it, it was like i smiled ear to ear the whole time and so um and that happens when i go to a baseball game it happens um when i, I saw my son in his first theater play and it's fun that these new ones are starting to establish he was in a play uh at, at his elementary school and he just i mean his middle school he just killed it man and i just sat there smiling the whole time it's so great so great so yeah i love I now i'm about where can i find those moments and, those moments are 100% of the time, either a location or with people, and usually both. Right. right. And it's so great. Hey, That's, next time Deftones come,
0: you're in. Let's do dude, it. Do it. And I want you to check out a group. I can message you. It's, it's called Ours. They're an old group. H-O-U-R-S? O-U-R-S. O-U-R-S. And it's a guy named Jimmy Neko And if you like Deftones going that, you're gonna, this guy's voice is crazy. All right. I'll the the old it stuff home. is ridiculous. But anyway. All
1: right. And you check out Turnstile their their new record glow on and then you holler back at me let me know I will brother I will
0: so guys everybody guys check out <laughs> so at Dr. John Deloney you also had a music uh therapy yeah, session Chinese medicine
1: now. mental health and heavy metal it's good <laughs> that's brother, my, we really my, my appreciate. kind of podcast
0: <laughs> yes I really appreciate it brother for you being on here from Dr. Axe he says hello we just really appreciate you
1: being with us man thank you so hey, much hey I'm grateful for your hospitality my good man and uh, let's we live in the same town so let's catch up
0: let's do it brother let's do it thanks so much brother